0: Good morning. Good morning, Bay Chapel. I don't know that I've ever been introduced. We have this guy. So I'm hoping to live up to to that. Uh, I did come a little bit further this time. My wife and my family moved to Baltimore, Maryland back in February. And so we moved to the northeast in February. That's when you know you're following God or not. I don't know. We just moved to the northeast. How many of you are from the north, the northeast? How many of you don't ever want to go back? Just keep that hand in the air. But how many of you at least remember the fall months, those beautiful months, the months where the reason why you were living there? I haven't experienced that yet. Anyway, I was driving up with my Penske truck, dragging our truck, our car behind us. I was the only one moving north in February. There were 10 Penske trucks pulling their cars all going south on the other side. And so I think they were waving at me and thinking, man, that's that guy doesn't know what he's doing. But we went up anyway. And so hello from Freedom Church in Bel Air, Maryland. I'm just thankful um, for a pastor who says, go. Be with your friends. Be with Bay Chapel and minister. I love being a part of ascending church in that way. And I do believe this, that Bay Chapel is a church like that as well. Not just seeking to build Bay Chapel, but seeking to build God's kingdom. You excited to be a, a, a part of a church that sees bigger than just what right in front? And I love Pastor Wes and Jen. They're dear, dear friends to my wife, Amy, and me. And I'm just thankful to be here. To It's really an honor for me. So thanks for welcoming me. I was here in November. My family came with me. I've got two girls, five and four, and they loved Bay Chapel kids. So anyone who works in the kids area, you know how this is. Kids go for the first time. They're nervous, and they loved it. And here's what my pastor says. He goes, there's two people who are getting to heaven faster than anybody else, the people who take notes on Sunday morning and the people who work in kids ministry. So you guys are leading the way, and thank you so much for spending time and pouring into our kids even now when i'm up in maryland and people ask me where i'm from i say clearwater they give me this look of are you crazy why did you move from from down there and here's kind of what i think about life is very interesting isn't it that you don't always end up where you think you're supposed to end up or you think that you would end up But I do believe that a sign of a maturing believer, a believer and follower of Jesus is when that happens, do you still trust? Do you still obey? Do you still worship God, even though it doesn't make sense? And then a layer on top of that is, do you do it with gladness? I've got a four year old right now. She will obey if we ask several times, but she's introduced a new noise to her vocabulary. And she does this when we ask her to do something. And she walks away and she does it. How many of you know that that's not really honoring and obedient when you do it in that way? I think God's looking for a little bit more than fine God, I'll do what you say, but obeying and honoring with, with gladness is a whole nother level let me read you a scripture that i love that i think most of us have heard hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 and i'm hoping my prayer today is that you're going to be inspired as you leave that this isn't a sunday where you come in listen and say that was nice those shoes are very white and then just leave but you actually you hear you you, you receive something encourages you so that you live different from the way that you came in cuz i do believe that's what happens when we come together as god's church he wants us to encounter him and leave a different way than when we came in. How many of you can say amen to that? I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm a little hopped up on coffee and I'm ready to go. So Hebrews twelve 1, let's do this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out us. I am actually hobbling a little bit today in my left foot. A few days ago, I was home in our apartment. I walked from the living room to our bedroom and just tripped on the carpet and then kicked my bed frame right in the corner with my left foot. I kicked it hard in, in which I heard the cracks, right? And I just fell down flat on the bed. I had just given up on life at that point. I kicked it. It hurt. I went face down, screamed into the pillows right there, to which my wife was, uh. Uh, Joey, are you all right? And I'm like, no, I'm not all right. Well, since she knows me and I tend to baby things a lot and cry wolf a lot, she doesn't think that it's a real injury or that it's really bad at all. H- how many of you wives can identify with this that somehow you feel okay, so I'm a wife. I get sick, and I still have to go to work, take care of our kids, do the laundry, and cook meals. My husband gets a little cold. He's out for seven days. Like, How many of you, wife, just like identify with that? So my wife thinks this, and so I'm definitely playing into the narrative that I am very wimpy when it comes to my toe. And I told her, this is different. Like, this one really hurts. Like, I am in a lot of pain here. Okay, I'm sorry that that happened to you, but are you going to take out the trash or what? Like, that kind of thing. It's just—and so— a couple hours later, though, here's what's going in my favor. I take off my sock, and it is black and blue, covering over a few toes. And, and I'm, I'm actually happy about it because I'm like, see? It's a real injury right here. I am I am really hurt. Have have sympathy for, for me. But I started hobbling around a, a, a little bit because of this injury that I have, and I think it's serious. But it, here's what I've noticed, that I'm cautious now when I go into my bedroom. This just happened a few days ago, but now I go into my room and I'm eyeing my bed frame and like, I see you, I see you and this ain't happening, again, I'm very timid, and, and I even backpedal in some way, and when I have to move next to it, I'm, I'm scooting, because I am so careful, because I was wounded, and I was hurt, and I don't want to see that happen again, and I find in our lives that sometimes we're wounded, and we're hurt, and we walk through some brokenness in our lives, and disappointments that have the potential of crippling us from running the race that has been marked out for us now. So God has marked out this race for us, but we remember the tough things and the crippling things, and we tend to hold back a little bit instead of moving forward in perseverance. The late Eugene Peterson, he was the author of the message version of the Bible. He sums up this text, and I think it's probably one of my favorite passages that was summed up in the message, and and it goes like this. Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who have blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on, It means we better get on with it. Turn to your neighbor real quick and say, get on with it. Just tell them that. Strip down, start running and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. I love this. Keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished this race that we're in. Study how he did it. Look to him. See how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God, he could put up with anything along the way. Cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor, right alongside God. When you find yourself flagging in your faith, when you find yourself with a bruised toe, stubbed toe, when you find yourself shrinking back instead of advancing, struggling with your faith, go over that story again, item by item, that long litany of hostility that he plowed through, and that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. Oh, I love that passage right there. As we look to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, if he be Began the work, he promised that he would finish it with us, and he also promised that he would never leave us. And so, I think about it this: the difference between adrenaline in my soul, peace in my heart, serving the Lord with gladness is often in what I choose to focus on. Because here's here's what I know: take a family afford a Disney World in August. People do it. They they do. How many of you have done it? Just raise your hand real quick so we can look at you and go like, why you, well, it doesn't matter. You did it and it's good. But here's what I know about the family of four going. Here's dad's response in August. It was hot. I was miserable. I'm certainly glad to be home in my own house. Mom says something like this. I think the kids had a really great time. We got a great deal. We got a great deal on it. Kid number one says, I loved it. I saw so many princesses. It was beautiful. And kid number two ate so much candy and now wants to live at Disney World. You know what I'm talking about? Four people have the same experience, but all have a different story about that experience. Why? It's what we choose to focus on. It's what we choose to remember. We actually stopped asking our kids how their day was and started asking them what their favorite part of the day was. And here's why we did this. Because we realized when we asked them just to tell us about their day, they always started with the bad things that happened in their day. I got hurt. I fell down. I got a scrape. This happened to me and I thought and we never got to the good because they were so much dwelling on the bad that happened. Hear me out, Bay Chapel. I'm not minimizing our pain. We go through things, but sometimes I feel like we may nurse in baby an injury that maybe was for a time it was good, but now it's okay to move on from that a little bit and think about the good things. Wow, I'm so glad that five of my toes didn't break and I just bruised them a little bit and I can still walk today. It's that kind of thinking that I'm talking about. And so our kids would dwell on the bad. This forced them to start focusing on the good. Sometimes we got to shift our focus because even though I can look back at some tough times, if it had not been for the goodness of God in my life, if God was not on my side, I wouldn't have made it. And I made it. Turn to your neighbor and said, you actually made it. You made it through what you were going through. And so David, as he's writing these Psalms and he's painfully honest with God, about what he's going through. His enemies are advancing on him. Fear was trying to take over. He wasn't feeling God at all, wondering, hello, God, where are you? How many of you have been there? Like, God, where are you right now? His mother and father had forsaken him. People were lying about him and his reputation was under assault. After all that, he says, but I remain confident in this. I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. How does he do it? How is that possible when you think about all that has happened, that he could actually say that statement? It's possible because he remembered that God helped him through it. Instead of focusing on just the bad, he chose to remember the good. He says, I haven't forgotten his benefits. I was a sinner, but... I was healed. I was sick and God healed my diseases. He redeemed my life from destruction. He crowned me with loving kindness and tender mercy. And he satisfies my mouth with good things. I am confident in God's goodness because when I stop and really think about it, I have seen it too many times to doubt it. When you look back at your life, It's easy to dwell on the negative and the tough things. But but let's be honest, when we really dissect and think about it, what has God brought you through? How faithful has God been to us? David is among that cloud of witnesses standing in heaven in the stands, cheering us on down here on earth. A hero of faith telling us not to give up. Keep grinding. There is more for you. His life was marked by overcoming limitations and facing giants head on, but he worshipped God in every season. Oh, it's hard to read that sometimes and mimic that sometimes because I don't feel like worshipping all the time. How many of you are with me that you don't always feel it? You don't always feel God, but I've come to realize this, that I don't have to feel God to trust God. I don't have to feel joy to have joy, that joy is actually My choice and David knew this and that's how he was able to encourage himself in the Lord, a worshiper, a warrior, a king, not perfect, but a man after God's own heart. So I want to visit that famous story today of David and Goliath and hopefully attach some fresh truth to really help inspire us today. He had these limitations that people placed on him. His dad, Jesse, basically said this, you have no king potential. And the reason why we know this is because David wasn't even in the room when the next king was being selected. He was out with the sheep. His dad had forgotten completely about him. It couldn't possibly be David. It has to be one of my other sons. And the story reminds us that God is not looking for us to look a certain part. He's looking straight to our hearts. I'm looking for a heart that is committed to me. God breaks into this family and reminds them that he doesn't always do things the way that we think he should do things or like we do things. When God's looking to elevate and promote, he's not looking for the person that's saying, me, me, elevate and promote me. He's waiting for the person who's being faithful right where they are at. The person who is serving because he says the greatest among you is not the one being served, but the one Who serves? David reminds us that waiting on God is never passive, but I'm gonna be faithful where I am until God comes onto the scene and promotes me. His brothers placed limitations on him and said, You are not a warrior at all. What are you even doing here at this battle? And David goes to his brothers to give them food because his dad asked him to. He was being obedient to his dad and he was met with this rejection and this mockery by his brothers who were saying, you're just here to watch the battle. And if it were me being a little smart-alecky a little bit, I would probably say, what battle, bro? You ain't doing nothing right now. It's been 40 days of battle and everyone's just standing there watching this thing. But David's a better man than me, so he doesn't say that. But anyway, what battle? Limitations, no warrior potential. King Saul didn't see him as a champion. He wanted to put his own armor on David. Again, smart Alec Joey Joey would be saying, don't you need it? We're in a fight right here. Like, why aren't you wearing your armor? And then finally, Goliath, who just mocked David openly. But step by step, David kept on throwing off the weight that hinders the, the rejection that can entangle. You can tell a lot about the caliber of a person by the amount of opposition it, ta- opposition it takes to really discourage them. If it were you and me who got met by this on every turn or angle, we may cower back. I've been rejected too much. That's it. David kept on. He kept focus. There's a battle here. God wants to win this thing. He didn't crumble under the weight of rejection. If God is writing my story, then rejection isn't really rejection at all. That God is using rejection as redirection in my life. God, I trust you. You know What you're doing and so before he fights goliath. I want to talk about other giants that david faced And I think all of us face so look at your notes right here because you'll get to heaven faster If you do not the giants that are on the outside, but the giants that are within number one the giant of injustice If you feel like you've been overlooked Not treated right Misrepresented by the very people you're trying to help this is jesus Dying for the very people who were killing him. Injustice taking place. This may be your giant if you ever say things like this. It's just not fair. Why them and not me? What about me? No one cares about me and what I am going through. Or maybe something like this. I just want them to hurt like they hurt me. That, that's a giant of injustice. Number two, the giant of insecurity. David would have worn Saul's armor if he was insecure, because insecurity will cause you to question who you are in Christ. It'll cause you to question your call. But David didn't question his call. He knew who he was. But you struggle with this giant. If you think about what if I fail, you have a fear of failure, you have a fear of the future. You play the victim a little bit. Joey, you don't know what I've been through. So that's why I'm just standing back a little bit and not moving forward. That's why. You don't know what I've been through. Again, not minimizing your pain. But I know the enemy would like nothing more than to cripple you in your pain so that you can't run the race out that God has for you. Stay bound. Stay locked up. Stay bittered. Stay stay with unforgiveness. And it'll keep you bound. Number three, the giant of indecision. This is a paralyzing one this is you and your group of friends and nobody can decide where to go to dinner. You know what I'm talking about? Those friends. Will somebody please just make a decision here? I'm starving. I've started to digest myself. Like where where are we going? I don't know. Where do you want to go? Where do you want to go? You know these people right? That that can't make a decision. Where do you want to go on vacation? Where do you? Where? Do, I don't know. Where do you? Uh, let's just think about it a little bit more. And then you start missing out on things because you can't make a decision. How many of you know a person like that and don't look at your wife or husband right now just people maybe that struggle with this this giant a bit this is the army of israel 40 days of goliath coming out wanting to fight and nobody can make a decision on what to do what what, what do we do here what if david was like this what do I do? Should I fight him? Should I not fight him? Should I go home? What stone should I grab? Should they be stony? Should they be more rocky? Should they be smooth? Should I wear this armor? Should I Should I not wear this armor? Where should I fling the stone if I'm going to? What if that's what was going on in his mind? He would have never defeated the giant. He had to decide in his heart, like, we're doing this and, and I'm moving forward In this, he remains confident. And I love this attitude that he had. And I hope it it rubs off on you and I today because I think it's important for us. Wait a minute. I'm in a battle, but God is directing this. I am called to run a race that has already been marked out for me. There is a track to this race that I am on. A few weeks ago at the Preakness Stakes, the horse racing, there was a horse who threw off. It's jockey and ran the race without a jockey. Did any of you see that in the beginning of the race, throws off the jockey and was disappointing for the jockey, probably not for the horse who was thinking, thank God, this guy is off me, but starts running. And you would think that the horse would just stand there and not run the race and be like, I'm good. But he ran the entire race. And not only that, after the finish line, he kept running. People were rooting for the horse without the jockey at the pregnancy. He kept running and you're thinking, wait, how did he know how to do that? Because he was on a track. The race was already marked out. And besides that, he looked at other horses that were on the same track who were running the race. And he thought, let me run alongside of them. This is why I love summer nights, Bay Chapel. This is why I like connect groups. Because when you don't know what to do, run with somebody who does. Run with somebody who does. And if you're in a group together and you haven't figured it out, figure it out together. I don't know how to do this. I'm, I'm up against some opposition. And someone else in your group says, I'm going through the same thing. Let's pray together. We can support each other. Indirectly, I just called you all a horse there in this example. But just take it and receive it and know that God is in it. Indecision statements. Here's how you know you battle with indecision. When you use, I need to pray about it as a crutch. When you know that you're not really going to pray about it. People know this about you, by the way. I'm just going to pray about that. Well, that's a no. We know what that means now. And let me just say this. Praying about something and worrying about something is not the same thing. Because sometimes we think and we, think, we call it praying that we're thinking and worrying and, it, and it's not. Maybe if you struggle with indecision, You either need change all the time or you hate change altogether. It's the opposite extremes. But here's what I know about it. It'll keep you from some divine appointments that God wants to set up in your life. And it'll cause you to actually miss those opportunities that you have been praying for. God, move in my life, intervene in my life, help me overcome in my life, open a door in my life, send somebody my way, and God goes, all right, bam, 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 bam. I don't know which door to open now. I don't know what to do. God is trying to help lead you, make a decision, because if you don't, it'll frustrate everybody else in your life. Number four, the giant of intimidation, fear. Not David. He decides, I am going to face what others are choosing to ignore And he runs into the battle head on and doesn't retreat. This is you deciding to have that hard conversation with that someone instead of avoiding it because you struggle with conflict. I'm not going to be fearful. I'm not going to be intimidated. I'm going to have that that conversation. You struggle with intimidation. If this is you, you're always talking about the good old days. What took place before You insult what you fear, what you don't understand. You compare yourself with others. You criticize other people's successes. Here's what I know about being fearful and intimidated. Intimidation causes isolation, and isolation is the plan of the enemy. If he can get you alone, he's got you. Because he will mess with your head up here. Have you believe any lie that he can throw at you? That's why we can't do this alone. So these are big giants, but I have good news, Bay Chapel, this morning. All of these are conquerable in the name of Jesus. There is no giant that Jesus ever met that didn't have to drop its knee. Jesus is able. He is willing and he wants to show up in your life in Jesus' name. So back to the story. David's at a battle where there is no one fighting. And so he says, this shouldn't be. God has marked out a battle, marked out a race and everyone's just standing still. In fact, I, I think we're, we're moving backwards and we're retreating. The apostle Paul said it like this. I am not running a race just to run. I'm not doing this aimlessly. I have a purpose. I'm running to win. That God says, I am more than a conqueror. God has called me to be victorious. And so I'm not just hobbling through and wondering if I should move forward. I intend to win this thing, Paul says. And this is David's attitude right here. The army is paralyzed by the giants of injustice and insecurity and indecision and intimidation. Even Eliab says, David's older brother says to him, you're just here to watch the battle. And Eliab, I've got news for you. It ain't a battle if you haven't swung a sword. If you haven't fought one time, you cannot call this a battle. And Bay Chapel, I want to encourage you in this way. You cannot win unless you're willing to fight. But you can lose. If you hold back and retreat, David, who's not even a warrior yet, knows enough about God that says, wait a minute, this shouldn't be. If we serve an all-powerful, omnipotent God, then it makes no sense that we're an army that's cowering back in fear. No sense. If God is on our side, is there an opponent too big for God? Joey, you don't get it. That guy's big. Is he bigger than God? That problem's big. Is it bigger than God? Why don't we answer? Is it bigger? He knows this as a young boy. All must bow to the name of Jesus. So he picks five smooth stones. He approaches the Philistine. I have some theories on why David chose five stones. I want to share them with you quickly. Number one is this. Goliath had four brothers. We see that in Second Samuel. And you don't start taking ground from the enemy without opposition. You think the enemy's going to be happy that you have beaten your giant of fear in your life? Oh, no. He's going to start sending the kitchen sink at you. So David takes five stones thinking, I'm going to drop Goliath. But then his four brothers are going to come at me and I'm going to need to be ready for that. Maybe he took five stones because he was practical and he was using wisdom in his life. And he was planning just to think, what if I missed What if I slung my sling and I missed? I would be in trouble. I need to have some some backup ammunition here. And here's what I want to encourage you with, Bay Chapel, is that you are not a failure if you miss. You're a failure if you stop trying. God says, I want to be with you. My grace is sufficient for you. I've got more than enough grace for the problem that you're facing, and I have more than enough mercy for the day at hand. David says, I'm going to be ready just in case. Freedom in Christ says, I'm not always going to get this right, but God's grace abounds towards me. When I think about Babe Ruth, he hit a lot of home runs, but he struck out a whole lot. He didn't hit a home run every time. You and I aren't going to hit a home run every time. We're going to strike out a little bit, but God's grace is sufficient. David was prepped for this moment. Everything he had faced from defeating a lion and a bear, from the rejection of his family, he needed it for what was about to happen. And why do I know this? Because God says he will cause everything, everything to work for our good. That means the bad things, the good things, the tragedies, the things that we didn't expect. God says, if you give it all to me, I will cause it to work out for your good. And this is why you and I have to choose to remember the good in our lives, because we don't know what we're gonna have to reach back for sometimes and say, remember 10 years? ago when we walked through that tragedy and it was hard, but God said this to us and he promised us this. And I got to pull that promise back out because God did that in that moment so that I would be equipped and ready for this moment in front of me right now. God comforts me in trial so that I can comfort others. He delivers me so that I can remember that I serve a God who delivers. David's attitude was this. Every obstacle, every giant that I have faced in my life, It will have to work for me before all is said and done. So he picks five stones, five traits. Here's what I think they stand for in David's life as we turn the corner and wrap this up. Number one, the first stone, I think, is the stone of obedience. Obeying God. Obedience is not about saying yes to God in the big things. It's about saying yes to God, period. God, whatever you say. I'll obey not just the things that come easy for me, but even the tough things, God, I will obey you. I'm going to be faithful to your word. And God, I know you're going to come through because I've disciplined myself to be obedient to you. I was faithful to God in the small things. I was faithful to God when I was shepherding the sheep. And so God is going to come through for me right now. I don't expect God to deliver me from debt if I'm not tithing and giving and haven't made a plan to get out of debt. God, I'm going to be faithful with what I have. So I know that you're going to come through and bless me with more. Anybody with me this morning? God's faithful when we are faithful. In fact, he's faithful even the times that we're faithless. The stone of obedience. Number two is the stone of worship. Worship being the constant reminder that God is so much bigger than me. So much bigger than my problems. And worship has a profound effect on the enemy. David says, I will bless the Lord on Sundays only and his praise shall weekly be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord when I feel like it and all's good from there. No, that's not what he says. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. David knew something that we forget sometimes. Psalm 149 says it like this, that if the praise of God is in our mouth, it's like a double-edged sword in our hands. Praise is the ultimate weapon against the enemy. It brings confusion to the enemy. Wait a minute right now. You should not be worshiping me like this. Or worshiping God like this. Excuse me. You shouldn't be. What, what is, what is how, ha- I know what's happening in your life. Your life is awful right now. And you're singing to God and saying that He's good. You must live on a different planet than I do. You must not live on the same earth than I do into which you're able to say to the enemy, you're right. I'm not a citizen of earth. I'm a citizen of heaven. And when I worship and praise Jesus, I bring a little bit of heaven to earth and it brings confusion and defeat to the enemy. I'm preaching to me right now because it's it's the truth. The stone of worship. Number three is the stone of prayer. When prayer is in its proper place in our lives, I am just convinced that it's nearly impossible to feel indecisive, intimidated and insecure when prayer is at its proper place. One of my constant prayers is that I would pray more. God, just give me a desire to pray, because I just don't always feel like it. What if you did this? What if you put prayer on your calendar? So many other things on your calendar, right? Some of you are a slave to your calendar, like I am. Everything that's on my calendar is happening today, and that's what's. What do I have coming up? This. Is, what if I put prayer on my calendar, and I decided to never miss that appointment? What would my life? look like? How would it be different? James five thirteen. if anyone among you is in trouble, let them pray. Number four, the stone of humility. Complete and absolute dependence on our God. A broken spirit, a tender heart, just like David, because God delights in our brokenness. Not because he likes to see us in pain, but God cannot fix what we don't see as broken. He can't fix it. God can't put us back together if we think we have it all together. Be humble at heart because God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. I don't know about you, but I need some grace. Just tell your neighbor real quick I need some grace. And go ahead and tell them, and you need a little bit more than I do. And here's the last thing number five, the stone of boldness as we close. Can you imagine being there that day in the valley? When this nine foot tall giant warrior trained from youth is standing across the valley and a 14 year old who has never been trained for battle is standing across from him and talking to him like this 14 year old saying, hey, you, I am going to drop you. I am dropping you. I am cutting off your head, and I am feeding it to the corpses. I'm feeding your corpse to the animals. I'm feeding your corpse to the—and not just you, actually the entire army. He's 14. The boldness. Here's what he knew that we forget sometimes. All of those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. God has different weapons. Obedience, worship, prayer, humility— boldness. He says, for the battle is the Lord's. It's not your fight. It's his. Here's what I love about God. God never loses, never loses. So Goliath starts towards David. David runs towards Goliath, which I can guarantee you never happened in Goliath's life a little confusion and surprise to him, to which my question to you would be, when is the last time you surprised the enemy? He knows too much about me, I think. He knows that if he gets me too tired, that I won't wake up and pray. He knows that if I get too busy, that I'm going to put other things on my calendar before God. He knows that if he can surround me a little bit with too much drama, that I am going to just think about the perceived the perceived size of my problem, and I'm going to forget about the size of my God. He knows this. So what if I do something different to surprise him? Bay Chapel, if we want to see God move in miraculous ways and intervene in our lives, and it's going to take us doing some different things. I don't want to do the same things and expect different results. God, help me to be like David. I want to be a worshiper. I want to be obedient. I want to be a prayer warrior. I want to be bold against the enemy. David drops Goliath, cuts off his head. The Philistine army is shocked. They don't know what to do at this point. And then all of a sudden, Israel, who'd been sitting on the sideline for 40 days, get some adrenaline into their souls and they rout the entire Philistine army. Here's what I know about your limitations. When you get over yours, you'll cause others to get over theirs. There'll be an inspiration that takes place that if God did it for me, he can do it for you. Bow your heads as we close here. Lord, I thank you that you love us right where we're at. You see us right where we're at. David had a stone. But we have you, Jesus, our living stone, our cornerstone. And on Christ, the solid rock, we will stand because all other ground is sinking sand. God, help us to be bold for you. Inspire us to live more like Jesus, to know who we are in Christ and whose we are, that we are sons and daughters of God, which means any battle that is in front of us, That's along the track that has been marked out for us. The battle is not ours anyway. It's God's. And he's called us to be victorious. And so I'm just speaking a spirit of courage and bravery in this place. That we're not going to cower back in fear and intimidation and insecurity. But we are going to walk forward in confidence. And walk forward in victory. Because that's what God has called us to God, we love you. We thank you for what it means to come and gather in your house. And I pray for those that are in this place that need to make a next step, a decision, whatever that is. Maybe they need to come to Jesus for the first time. That you would just draw them in their hearts right now. Stir it up in them that they don't have it all together and they don't get all this Jesus stuff. But, Lord, that they would be drawn to you offer their lives. If that's you here in Bay Chapel, you're here today. And your life right now is just a bit out of control and and you don't really know what to do. And today we're talking about the enemy and God being on our side. And you're wondering, is God even on my side? Here's what I know about God, that when, when the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, it means that God is with you, that God is always on your side. Your first step may be just to invite God into your life. It'll be the best day when you do that. So if that's you, I'm just going to pray a short prayer. And you can just borrow these words. Pray along with me as I pray. And Bay Chapel, why don't we do this today just as a family and in support for those who would pray this, that, that would ask Jesus to come fill their lives and to walk with them. Let's pray it together, everyone. Dear Lord Jesus, I need you. Come into my life. Be with me. Walk with me. Give me courage and peace. Map out your plan for me. Forgive me of my sin. Wash me clean so that I can be brand new. In Jesus' name. And for those of you here that just think, you know what? I know that God has more for me. I encourage you. Don't stay where you're at. Don't hobble around on an injury from a while ago. Move forward in God because he's got more for you. All right. Amen. Let's give God praise this morning.